saying gory has been at it for over 40 years and is better than ever. This gorgeous magazine is highly collectible and comes right to your door four times a year. Bing, bang, boom, done. Each issue is filled to the brim with articles exploring every nook and cranny of genre filmmaking past, present, and future with all the most exciting journalists, filmmakers, and horror know-it-alls to guide the way, including your intrepid King cast hosts. Since we write for it, you know the writing of this magazine is going to be top-notch, babies, and we can guarantee the quality, and you can only ever read this within the physical pages of the magazine. So if you want to join in on the fun, you will need to subscribe. To do that, all you have to do is head on over to Fangoria.com and sign up. KingCast listeners are in the family, so I have a nifty promo code for all our cousins and distant relations. Y'all can save a whopping 25% off your order if you use the code KingCast at checkout. Also, this is your last week to vote for Fangoria's Chainsaw Awards. They've locked in their nominees and they want you, yes, you, to vote for your favorite genre offerings from last year. Support your favorite horror movies like Nope. Barbarian or Pearl or the Black Phone by casting your ballot at fangoria.com slash vote before February 27th. With all that said, let's get on with that show. Hi. My name is Stephen King. The ice He's gonna break! Bad rum! Bad rum! Sir! Advise me to go see a dead body. Well, sometimes, that is better. Hello and welcome back to the KingCast on the Fangoria Podcast Network. My name's Scott Wampler. And I'm Eric Vespi. And we are your hosts. We are back with what promises to be a very spirited episode of the show this week, gang. With a guest we've been interested in having on the King Cast for quite some time. Uh, he's a triple threat, possibly even more threats than that. Three is just the number that I counted for this intro. Uh, <laughs> uh, but he is a writer, producer, and director who has had a hand in some of our favorite horror movies of the past decade, including the Paranormal Activity franchise, Scout's Guide to the Zombie Apocalypse, the Happy Death Day duology, and most recently, 2020's Freaky. On February 24th, his latest film, The David Harbour and Anthony Mackie starring We Have a Ghost, hits Netflix. Today, he is here to talk to us a little bit about that, as well as Stephen King's 2011 novel, 112263, and maybe uh, a little bit about the adaptation, if he managed to watch more of it than we did. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the KingCast stage, Mr. Chris Landon. Chris, how are you doing today? I am doing wonderful. Thank you. Is it okay if I call you Chris instead of Christopher? Like, please how are do. you? On please the do. Hands? Let's, yeah, cut to the chase. Okay. Didn't know. <laughs> Some people are weird about it. You I'm, know? Not, I'm not a Christopher. You know, I mean, it's there in, in the credits, but yeah, I've never really identified as a Christopher. I don't know why I don't just lose the Topher, but I don't know. It's a whole other thing. <laughs> well, I was I was writing something this morning about Oz Perkins's new movie, uh, Long Legs for mm-hmm. Fangoria. And uh, I realized while writing it, I was writing Oz Perkins. And then I was like, wait, didn't he want to be called Oswald? And or Osgood, excuse me. Fuck, I got his name. <laughs> Os- got his Oswald the Rabbit Oswald Perkins. Oswald Perkins. Sorry, Oz. Um, but but like a bell went off in the back of my mind. Like, wait, I think that guy wanted to go by his full name, and then I couldn't remember, and I looked it up. And anyway, I went with the full name. Uh, but it's a thing. It's a thing. I was. Sup- 
I mean, I, I think where it throws me is that my mom wanted me to be Christian, not Christopher, but she mm. was married to a Jew. So that was problematic. Um, <laughs> I mean, it was still problematic, but it was more problematic. So they agreed on Christopher. So that's where we, that's where we landed. That is better than say Jesus. Jesus might have been a problem. Um, I prefer Jesus. Uh, yeah. So your new movie, uh, we have a ghost. Uh, Eric and I both got to look at this uh, before the recording. This is, um, it's 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 a little bit of a curveball for you after the last however many movies we've seen of yours that are that that I think lean a little darker. It's a little more family friendly. Is that fair to say? I would say yes, one hundred percent. So. Yeah. Is this a conscious decision on your part or were you just like, I can fuck around in this genre too? I mean, I think it's more the latter, you know, because okay. I still love killing people and, you know, <laughs> doing all kinds of dark things. But honestly, it was a short story that I came across um, and fell in love with. And I think what I loved about it was that it sort of bridged disparate parts of my world and my life. You know, on one hand, it sort of is set up like a horror film, you know what I mean? In the most, mm -hmm. tropey, in the most tropey sort of way. And then it just completely subverts it very quickly. And I was very drawn to that as a person who also loves to kind of mess around in different genres. Um, but I think also just because like, I'm a dad now and, um, and I have, I have different feelings, <laughs> you know? Um, <laughs> I, and so for me, this was like a way to bridge, bridge my worlds. And well, wait, when did you, when did you become a father? I became a father, uh, almost six years ago now. Um, oh, wow. number one, I have two, I have two boys, two sons. Um, so I have a, a almost six year old and a three year old. And so for me, yeah, it was sort of like, it's, you it's say really I have a, I have a, I'm a parent now, but you made all these other horror movies while you were I know, I know. Well, that's, what's so funny is that, and my kids have grown up around this stuff. Like my, my son has many a time walked around our house wearing the freaky mask, you know, and like mm -hmm. they, they're very aware of it, but they also know that they're like not allowed to watch this stuff. And it was really fun as I was editing. We have a ghost because sometimes I would have like my son in my lap and it was like the first time he could sit and actually see stuff that I was doing. And was he thrilled with the uh, editing process? Huh? <laughs> like while you were editing, he said, yeah, I mean, he was, he gave me most of my notes. Um, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, like I said, it was just, it was, it was really fun to be able to flex some different muscles. Also, it's a bigger movie, you know, mm -hmm. budget wise than what I've done in the past. And yeah, I mean, it's just, for me, it was an opportunity to kind of, to, to sort of show people that yes, I have, I have another side. Right. Myself. Well, there's not a lot of people that are making movies in that kind of frighteners vein, you know, where there mm -hmm. is that like step in between something super dark and, and like, super emotionally uplifting and family friendly. Right. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I was very pleased with that. And also I got to give you credit because one area that seems to fail a lot on film is an, an understanding of like online culture or social media culture. And right. there's a moment in this movie where essentially what would happen in real life if somebody captured ghost footage What is what happens. You know, there becomes a fucking TikTok challenge. There's dancing, you know, dancing thing. You know what I mean? It's like <laughs> all this shit would really happen if you found, a, you know, stands for Ernest, you know, stands for the ghost. You know, it's like all that shit would actually legit happen yeah, in like real people, life. People that automatically happened. fighting mm -hmm. about stupid shit. Um, right. Dicks out for Ernest. Yeah, all of it. <laughs> right. All of it, yeah. yes. 
um, it was a wonderful opportunity to just sort of gently skewer social media. Um, I enjoyed that opportunity. <laughs> what's your What's your take on social media? By the way, it's well, it's, mean, a, it's, it's a big part of this movie. So I mean, it's look. I, my take is it is both. It is a blessing and a curse. It has both mm-hmm. brought us together and destroyed us. You know, I, I think we're starting to really lean toward the latter more. You know, I do. I, I don't. I start to kind of feel like it's not a good thing anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can, I can see how you would think that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think it's easy for us all to see that. Um, and but it's but it's here, you know, and it's not going anywhere. And so we all kind of have to learn how to live with it and cope with it. And maybe hopefully um, at least on a case by case personal basis, like use it for good whatever the fuck that means um right. because there's too many other people out there who aren't you know so it's like we've got to create some kind of balance you know and that's sort of what the universe is all about i guess at the end of the day so so yeah you know social media <laughs> every once in a while you'll see someone on twitter usually saying something like you know you know some horrible thing has happened on twitter and someone's just like you know social media needs to be regulated or blah, blah, blah. I think it's that genie's out of the bottle, baby. Like there's no, there's no scenario here where the government decides to crack down on what is or is not permissible on social media right? and expect like anyone, literally anyone to go along with it. I think, I think the genie that you're referring to now is this sort of the, this kind of like post fact world that we live in now, because it doesn't, it doesn't matter now. You could tell someone, Hey, this is actually provably false. And that person will still choose to believe it because they want to. Absolutely. And so everyone has kind of been siloed into their own weird little realities and bubbles. And so that's, that's where we are now. So I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. How we ever claw our way back from that kind of crisis. We need an earnest to unite us all. We do. (laughs) Everyone should have. That'll do it. It, um, An actual earnest would precipitate. I think some sort of religious fundamentalist apocalypse. <laughs> you and know, way, we, I started to explore that in a version of the script. Um, really? <laughs> yes, I did. I did. It was, it was actually, there was a version of the script where the government was sort of in cahoots with the upper echelons of the Catholic religion, i.e. the Pope. And they were like, we cannot let this out. We have to make this feel like it's a fake like we cannot let people believe this is real and so i love this whole other thing and it ended up kind of eclipsing what i really wanted to say with the movie and what i wanted to do it got heavy and i was like oh jesus christ like i need to rein in my (laughs) let this thing become too bogged down and all this other stuff so but yes it was very top of mind For a while while I was while I was writing it. Another question I have for you after this is and and usually I would wait to organically slip this into the conversation later, but okay. since this isn't really one of King's supernatural or, or horror novels, I'll I'll go ahead and get it up out of the way up front. Um, do you believe in ghosts? I do. Have you seen a ghost? No, but I've heard one. <laughs> go on. Um, okay, so true story. Um, many, many, many years ago, I lived in one of those old, weird Charlie Chaplin buildings off of, off of Poinsettia, um, in, in West Hollywood. So Chaplin, you know, built these 
these apartments um, mm-hmm. that he that he had for yeah, his actors, like stuff. bungalows. Yeah, they're like bungalows near near his yeah. studio. So I lived in one of these with a with my roommate. Um, and um, what I remember, there was a feeling. There was a feeling in the place. And then um, one night, I was I was in my bed reading, and I heard my roommate come home, and he was really loud. And he was a talker. Mm-hmm. Oh, he was a talker. Um, and so he turned on the kitchen light, which kind of would shine through my window. And then I heard him walk up to my my bedroom door. And I was like, oh, please don't come in. I just want to read my book tonight. And he just stood, <laughs> he just stood there. The horror he, of any roommate. <laughs> yes. And then, he, and then he finally walked away. And I was like, oh, I'm so relieved. And then I heard him go. There was like a weird spiral staircase that went up to his room from our living room. So I heard him thumping up the stairs and I heard a door slam and I kind of thought maybe he was drunk. Um, and that was that. And then next morning I woke up and I'm in the living room grabbing my stuff and I'm about to leave and in comes my roommate who's carrying his dry cleaning and stuff. And I was like, Oh, did you forget something? And he said, no, what do you mean? And I was like, well, did you just leave? He said, no, I'm just getting home. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he's like, I spent the night at my boyfriend's house last night I was in Santa Monica and I was like, shut the fuck up. Um, (laughs) And that was like the first, that was like first contact where I was like, Oh wow. Like there was something walking around, turning Mm. lights on and off, like doing the whole thing. And then like not three weeks later. Well, hold on. Were you scared after the fact? Not at all. Weirdly, not at all. There was no, I did not have a bad feeling. Were you excited? I was kind of excited. See, that's oh, how I would be. I'd be thrilled for I that. was super into it. And I did do the thing. Like, I, I had a Ouija board and I tried to, like, contact it. <laughs> yes. Um, which I had fucked with in the right. past. And then I would, like, try and talk to it randomly. And, of course, I didn't hear anything back. But then a girlfriend of mine came over and spent the night at my place. And she slept on my couch. And then the next morning, again, she was like, you're so sweet. And I was like, what? She was like, for, like, tucking me in last night while I was sleeping. And, like, and she woke up and all her blankets had been tucked tightly under her shoulders, like to like make her cozy. And I was like, I um, not do that. Yeah. <laughs> Are we sure this isn't the people under the stairs? Right. Or... She was bitch. So she never came back. Um, but um, but I was convinced that this was a very like mild, chill, nice ghost that was I was rooming with. And um, yeah, we had a very nice easy relationship <laughs> cohabitating. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, I do believe in that stuff, you know, and, and I, I have had some crazy, like weird Ouija experiences in the past where I found out things that I couldn't possibly know about people mm-hmm. and confronted them about it. And they like wigged out. So like, I do believe in this, in this mm. stuff very much. I don't know. I want, I want to <laughs> believe so much. You know, and I've had weird shit happen, but I'm also kind of like, I need, I want definitive proof. I want right. to see it with my eyeballs, right. you know, and I would be the most excited little boy in the world if I could see something like this. But I just, I just yeah, haven't. I don't think and, you would, because then it's sort of like the gig is up and like, and so like, then when you are masturbating, yes, someone is watching you and like, <laughs> that's all fine. Of, then I'm going to get off yeah. quicker. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I don't know. I love, I love the mystery of the unknown and it's, and it's, you know, like I certainly do not subscribe to a lot of things, you know? Right. Right. Um, and I do keep it and I do keep part of my mind open to the possibility that it's just 
chance and randomness and nothing was actually there and something happened. You know what I mean? Like there's, a, right. there's always a way to explain it, but I don't know. I think part of it too, is that like, I, you know, I lost my dad when I was 16 and that was really mm-hmm. hard and painful. And I think I right. needed, I needed to believe that there was more, you know, to kind of cope with that a little bit. And so that I, makes looked, sense. I looked for signs, you know, like I was convinced at, at when I was, this happened when I was 16 and I was convinced that like every time a street light went off when I was near it and it happened a lot, I was like, Oh, he's communicating. And look, <laughs> I know that's right. total bullshit, but it felt nice. And I think that's probably why a lot of us like to believe in it. You know what I mean? And then there's a dark side to that, which is what we all explore in a lot of scary movies. Yeah. But yeah. I think but I think most of it is just sort of this, this kind of need to sort of believe that our loved ones are okay and that, and that they are also sort of looking out for us, you know? And I think right. it's a comfort to a lot of people, however bullshitty it might be. Yeah. Yeah. That comfort's a big, a big part of it. It's, you know, I think my, my personal belief tends to more to go to the, uh, you know, what happens after we die is a lot like what happens before we're born. You know, we're just not here. We're not there. There isn't an, an existence. You know what I mean? Right. Um, but there's not a whole lot of comfort to take in that if if uh, a friend or, or a family member dies. It's not very comforting to go, well, they had their time and now they're gone. You know, right. there's nothing left of them, you know, b- besides what they the legacy that they've left behind for their loved ones. Right. It's, uh, it's you know, it's an order to it. You know what I mean? Like beyond the, the sort of like. The, the kind of pat spiritual stuff that I think we all know. Like, I think there's the idea that like there is an energy that there is something that courses through our world. And I think, you know, you see a lot of people who I was obsessed with that Netflix documentary about all these different drugs specifically. I can never say it. I'll fuck it up every time. Sila, 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 thank you. Fuck. It's yes. the ultimate one. I can never come out of my mouth. And, but like all these people who have, who are, who are, a lot of terminal patients who who choose this this path and they do these like mega doses of of mushrooms um, end up really kind of coming out of it with this unbelievable peace and they feel like they were able to see some kind of magical hidden geometry and math that sort of explains a lot of things to them that makes them feel connected to the entire world Mm. Um, and so maybe that's what it all is, you know, I don't know, but I mean, that's, that's true, but I, I don't know what your experience with, with level with mushrooms is, but I took mushrooms not too long ago and watched Top Gun Maverick and I felt all of those things. <laughs> you didn't see God. Uh, <laughs> I did. His name was Tom Cruise. <laughs> Zenu. Like, saw Zenu. like it's, it's Zenu. fucking, <laughs> I do, I, I do think there is. I think there's something to hallucinogenics in terms of like opening our minds to it's not necessarily a plane of reality, but I do think it's like a maybe it is a plane of reality. You know, that yeah. that sounds like overstepping. That sounds like like science fiction nonsense. Right. But I think so. But it, it but it does elevate you to an entirely different consciousness. Right. And there's something there. There's something there worth exploring. I, I, I do believe that um, in small doses, like mushrooms are probably great for <laughs> for a lot of what ails you. They 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 can pick up your mood. You know, I can imagine how they would. Well, I don't know. I, I hear about them being used a lot to like treat PTSD people. Right. And and I think like, oh, no, 
I, I can imagine if like just as a, a for instance, the la- the, one of the last times I took mushrooms, it was a, a spur of the moment thing. It was just like, you know, like fucking 5 p.m. on a Tuesday or something. And I was just like, eh, you know what? I need to pick me up after today. This will put me in a good mood for some, do some mushrooms. Yeah, sure. <laughs> okay. Like I have a very laissez faire attitude with this sort of thing. And, and yeah, it was like, yeah, I'll fucking, I'll eat some mushrooms and watch a movie or something. And I had a, I had like not a bad trip, but sort of a, sort of a not great experience where I just felt like, you know, whatever was troubling me during that day didn't go away instantly. And in, right. in, 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 you know, in favor of whatever I was looking at or watching or whatever. I don't think that's what they're supposed to do though. <clears throat> if that's what you Maybe. were pining for, you were, you were asking for the wrong well, I was, a lot of well, I was, I was looking for everything they want to avoid. Fair, <laughs> but I was looking for a mood elevator. Okay. And instead what it did was, and this is, this is rare for me. Like I want, I want to be clear on that because 99% of the time, and I'm, I'm someone who's had extensive experience with LSD mushrooms, you name it. It just made me wonder about people who have had it a lot worse than I have right. that might that might be experimenting with that as a, as a treatment, like, wouldn't it bring up some bad memories? That's, mm-hmm. that's all, you know, and maybe, maybe yeah. not, but you know, well, I mean, I think again, I think where they've had huge success with these very big doses is when they're treating people with extreme anxiety. Um, and again, that kind of sure. ties back to people who are dying, um, who are afraid of death. They're using it to treat alcoholism, which apparently they've also had pretty phenomenal success with. Mm. Um, but but in all those cases, from what I read about it, is that part of the treatment and part of the, what they experience is a just absolutely brutal examination and sort of like they are thrust into the darkest parts of their minds before they come out on the other side. Um, mm-hmm. so I think that's that's like ayahuasca. It is ayahuasca <laughs> in, that, in that way. You know what I mean? I've avoided ayahuasca because I'm like, oh, God, I'm just going to like have to sit in a room with my dead parents. I'm going to cry and throw yeah, up. Yeah, you're going to shit your pants. That's, that's, that's what I always hear about ayahuasca. I'm not ready. Like, I'm not ready. Yeah. But I, think I could be one day. I just, I don't want to <laughs> shit my pants in front of like a bunch just of people, dude. I, bitch. <laughs> I knew someone, I knew someone who was like, you know, had found like a traveling sort of ayahuasca. Per- we are so fucking far off topic right now. <laughs> <laughs> but they had found like, actually, I won't give out too many details, but like basically they went and did an ayahuasca experience. And beforehand, they told me like, I'm going to go do this shit. And I was like, bring a change of pants, bro. Yeah. And and she was like, how come? And I was like, because you're going to shit those fucking pants, dude. Like, that's all I ever hear. Like, because I have looked into like going that's down so to South I'm America. To wear white linen pants. <laughs> yeah. Just wear white linen. You'll be good. If, if you have transparent pants, that might even be your best bet. But I have I, like I looked into this at one point because I was like, what would it cost me to go down to like South America in the middle of the jungle and have like this experience at one of these you know, wild ass, you know, kind of like it's a very nice resort and it's attended to by people who know how to administer these things and blah, blah, blah. And my reaction was just, well, first of all, the price tag was absurd right. and obscene and there was no way I could afford it. But also like it felt like on every page of this thing, it was like you will violently defecate yourself. <laughs> and, you know, and I'm just like, I just I don't know. 
dead. <laughs> I want to spend like four thousand dollars or something. Appreciate yourself. To fly, yeah, down there and take a nice little bus. And then there's an opening ceremony, and we all have like maybe a glass of wine and get to know one another. And then the next day, I am just like voiding my bowels at like projectile voiding my bowels right in a pair of pants in a tent. Right. I'll tell you what's turned me off, and then we should. I probably we will return to the yes. to, to the topic at hand. I think what's been interesting about the ayahuasca thing is that, the, I, and maybe it's the kind the kind of people that I've talked to who have done it, but they have struck me as no less enlightened than they were before they did it. <laughs> That's another thing. <laughs> and so I'm sort of like, but you're. It, it's it kind of felt like you no, know, you're just like a Burning Man poser, and <laughs> I don't know if I really want to shit my pants if this is what I'm going to get. I saw a tweet about this a while back and it was like someone who just got back from their ayahuasca w- retreat. And then that person was just like, I saw the face of God mm-hmm. and experienced love in four different dimensions and blah, blah, blah. And it's like your friend who went on an ayahuasca treat retreat three weeks later, like my fucking Domino's Groupon doesn't work tonight. And blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> they're, they're sitting in their car on La Cienega rage screaming at some old lady yeah. who's crossing in front of them. Yeah. It's like, right. no, no, <laughs> but you're right. Stephen King. Let's yes. talk about Stephen King. Um, uh, Chris, what's your, what's your Stephen King origin story? My Stephen King origin story. Um, I would have to say it was, and he would not be pleased about this. Um, it was, it was The Shining. I saw The Shining um, when I was probably about six years old. That's pretty young. Very, the very yeah. well. It was like six or seven years old. And again, um, and I've talked about this a little bit before in the past, but like my, my parents went through a very messy, turbulent divorce when I was a little kid. And my dad just sort of decided that like all bets were off and whatever I wanted to look at or do, I could just kind of do it. And so the forbidden horror movie section of of the video store just was open to me. Um, And he just thought it was okay. So my sister and I just started watching all this stuff. And I remember watching The Shining at an early age and it was, yeah, I mean, it was, it destroyed me. I had nightmares forever. I couldn't sleep without the lights on and I still had the covers over my head. so it really fucked with me. But again, it was my first taste. Um, and then I started to kind of get into his books, but I like read strange stuff, not like classic. I like read thinner. Like I remember reading thinner mm-hmm. when I was pretty young. Um, mm-hmm. And it of course still freaked me out. Um, but yeah, definitely, definitely the shining. Yeah. Right on. That's a good answer. So your parents were permissive with horror stuff? My dad. My mom was not. (laughs) So my mom didn't know about it. She just thought I was coming home and just generally afraid. Because I I knew early on that I couldn't rat him out. So I (laughs) I didn't tell her about what I was watching. But she was suspicious. And then she finally got wise and started to kind of looked through my room. She was like looking for like horror contraband and she started to find it. Like I had, I had the Stephen King books. I had like John Saul books hidden in my room um, because I was so into it. And then she was like, aha. So she like called my dad and was like, don't let them fucking watch this stuff or read this stuff. And he's like, yeah, sure. Kid, sure. And then we would go over to his house and we would just do it again. 
Um, <laughs> and it, and it just, but it was, but it was, I was obsessed with it, you know, and I, I was so fascinated by it. So I wanted more. I think that's fair. All kids are. I think kids like scary shit, you know? They have well, a lot yeah, of questions it, and they well, never get any answers, you know? It's questions, know. but it's... Go, well, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say that, like, the thing that I always advocate for, obviously, you know, parents should know their kids and what they can handle and what they can't handle. Right. There are a lot of kids that can handle really crazy, you know, horror stuff. There's some kids that can't even watch Return to Oz, right? Well, but to be fair, Return to Oz is legitimately one of the scariest things it's to ever scary. mankind. But you know what I mean? There, there are some some people like... You know, I, I've seen it in my own life. My my nephews and the older one could watch just about anything at, at a super young age. His little brother, uh, the trailer for it gave him nightmares, right? And he just right. wouldn't, he couldn't watch the movie, blah, blah, blah. He wants to, couldn't. But there's something about that era, and this is something that I've talked to a lot of friends with kids about, is like, when you're that young, there's something that imprints on you in genre because you can embrace it wholeheartedly there's no cynicism uh you can read a book you know at the age of nine or ten or watch a movie at the age of nine or ten um and have it affect you in the way that like is a perfect pure way right like where those things can still be scary and yes it's okay to scare kids you know i mean not strangers obviously but you know it's okay for kids to have that fear that's what horror is it's a it's a natural release valve if there's a curiosity about death or gore or whatever this fuck it's better that they're watching that than looking at beheading videos on youtube exactly. or something exactly. you know what i mean so yeah, it's, it's it's a safe safe recourse you know for yeah for sure and exploring that was those things. for me as a kid because i just had a lot of a lot of anxiety and a lot of fear pent up and so for me it was it was the valve you know that released it right well what did you have so much anxiety about I, like I said, I think so much of it stemmed from my parents splitting and that it was, it was, like I said, it wasn't, they did, this was like, I feel like this was before people understood like co-parenting, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. and for my parents, it was World War III. It was like, we're going to crush each other. And, and unfortunately, I feel like my sister and I were really were pawns in the middle of this thing. Um, and so it was, it was really difficult for us. And then add that to sort of the fact that like, I was, I was a, you know, burgeoning little gay kid, you know, like trying to figure out why, why I was different from everyone else and why I felt differently and why I didn't feel like I could fit in. And so it was just kind of like all of these things that got put into my anxiety cauldron. Um, and you know, it just was, it was a lot. I mean, I had all kinds of like issues as a little kid. Like I was a bedwetter. I even pissed my pants at school. I bit my nails. I was all over the place. I mean, my parents had me in, in therapy three times a week, starting at age five or six. So it was, there was a lot going on in my little brain, you know, that I was Mm, trying to sort out. It's interesting. Like I was, I was a morbid kid. I liked horror and stuff, but, um, I wasn't anxious. And I think if I was anxious at that age, I think I would have avoided horror. So I think it's sort of interesting that you had these anxieties going on and, you know, and yet she persisted. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> oh. like you like kept going with it and in fact made a career of it. That's, yeah. that's kind of cool. It was like a moth to a flame, I guess. I don't know. I just, I, I snuck into my parents' room one night when they were watching psycho and I hid behind a chair 
And that was the first time I saw anything horrific. Mm. Um, and it's a rite of passage, by the way, for any any kid to yeah. sneak that that horror, that scary thing. Or sometimes your parents are watching some, you know, sexy or something where something you're not supposed to watch, and you're watching it from the stair. You Wait, know, hold on, the rails or whatever. Yeah. You were watching sexy stuff. <laughs> no, but you know, with your I folks, did, well, they I did were grow watching up in it? the '80s, where you know, sure. where there was lots of. Uh, what they would call adult thrillers with nudity and boobies and stuff in it, where maybe I wouldn't watch that sitting. Oh, next I to thought my you parents, meant like whatever. specifically like something like full blown something porn. sexy. No, oh. no, nothing, nothing that no the the no, like uh, the worst hiding behind the couch while the parents are watching Basic Instinct. No, n- <laughs> no, know, that sort of thing. No, just you know something that that is like dangerous that you wouldn't be able to watch. You know, they wouldn't let you watch uh, by yourself or whatnot. You know what I mean? Yeah, fair enough. Well, the the title you have brought us today, Chris, is uh, not a particularly scary Stephen King uh, novel, eleven twenty two sixty three. For uh, anyone who's listening to this episode who hasn't read eleven twenty two sixty three, would you be willing to lay out the uh, the gist of the plot? The gist of the plot, absolutely. So uh, the book is about a a guy named Jake Epping who is a high school teacher, um, kind of a kind of a bummed out dude. You know, like he's divorced, kind of feels like, you know, even though he's still young in his 30s, he kind of seems like he feels like his, the best of his years are already behind him. Um, and he is uh, introduced to a portal um, that is in the back of a diner that will take him back to the year 1958. Um, and the person that shows it to him um basically says, listen, I'm on a mission to, to stop the assassination of JFK. Um, but I'm dying and I'm not going to make it now. So now it's up to you. You gotta, you gotta finish the job. And so this guy basically sort of this, nobody suddenly takes it upon himself to, to try and, and, and change the course of history. Um, and he believes that he's not only going to stop Kennedy's assassination, but, but all the other sort of cascading things that followed like you know um, bobby's assassination luther king um and even vietnam um and so he is suddenly thrust into the center of this incredibly incredibly monumental um task um but as he endeavors to to change the future he also discovers that um it's actually very hard to do Mm -hmm. it um and that events don't like to be changed um, and so he's going to have a hell of a time doing it. Um, and, uh, it's a very, very exciting, very emotional book. Um, yeah, I you just it. touched on probably my favorite part of this book is the whole concept of, of how time doesn't want to change and yes. that you can do it, but it will fight against you. And the only thing you can do is to try to plan for that. And the, I like how he sets it up in the rules because this is a story that anytime you're telling one of these time travel things, if you don't establish hard and fast rules early on, uh, then just anything can happen. And there's no, there's, you know, there's no stakes to it because you could just reset it and go back and, and try it again. Right. And yeah. like he, he sets up right from the beginning that uh, one, that time doesn't want to be changed and two, uh, if you leave and come into the newly changed world and then go back in, it, it's a reset button. Right. And, mm-hmm. and it also, I love that whatever he's trying to change doesn't happen 
right when he goes back in time, right? So if he wants to reset, then he's got to spend five more years, you know, in you know in the past and and re- reset everything. So he there is a little thing where you're you don't have unlimited time to do what you're going to do or try to pull it no, off. No, in fact, it's like he's giving. Yeah. It's almost like ten year sprints to the Kennedy assassination, you know, because right. there's the five years leading up. And then as soon as you reset, there's the other five. So it's like these big chunks of time between, between what his objective is. And so you could see how it's why the guy that he meets in the beginning of the book, Al, the guy who owns and runs this diner is suddenly very, very old and very, very sick. Um, right. So yeah, the rules are, crazy and spectacular and terrifying, but but not overly explained too, because that's the other big thing is that there isn't Mm -hmm. a whole chapter devoted to, and then the ancient aliens set up a little portal in this. It it just is. You walk into this pantry, you take two steps and where you hit a wall, you should, you know, you should hit a wall and you don't. And suddenly you walk out and it's 1958 America. It just is, you know, that's, that's the thing that doesn't matter you know, what matters is the characters and what they do with this, with this thing, you know, which it's an interesting book uh, for a lot of reasons, mainly because I think it, it hit King's bibliography in a really interesting time because he was, I'd say floundering a little bit here. This is his post accident era. You know, he, he put out like some of my least favorite King work is, is what we're talking about here in that dream catcher, um, you know, I'm, I'm not a big from a Buick eight fan. Scott is, uh, Hell yeah. uh, you know, you know, sells. Okay. You know, Lisey's story is a very personal story. Blaze. I'm not a huge fan of Duma key. I need to revisit. Everybody was saying how great that is, but he had like this 10 year run where it just felt like, uh, he kind of lost a little bit of the magic, even if it, you know, it's still there. It, it was a different flavor of King than what I grew up with and what I kind of hoped to read. Mm-hmm. And then 11, 22, 63 was him going, nah, I'm still me. Yeah. And, and then like, he had a fucking crazy run after that. That's like Joyland and, uh, the Bill Hodges stuff revival, you know, he, that he had like a kind of a, um, a new Renaissance, you yeah. know, and I, it was kind of marked by this book. Yeah. I mean, the book, I mean, I like, I'm a big, again, I think what you're finding out about me is that underneath all my sort of like horror, you know, revile and filth was like a real softy. Um, and I, yeah. I like, I openly wept multiple times reading this book and especially the end, which just yeah. absolutely mm-hmm. crushed me. And it just touches on so many on so many things that I think are deeply, deeply relatable and deeply human. You know, I think it's, it's so much about, about regret and about yearning to hold on to something that doesn't belong to you. And it's funny because it ended up being, and I think I really do credit this book in many ways as sort of weirdly connecting to the happy death day movies um, (laughs) specifically the sequel, which they couldn't be more different in tone but some of the things that King is saying in this book were things were, were themes that I wanted to touch on as well in, in that film, which is that just because you can change the future doesn't mean you should. Um, right. And that there are there are consequences to that, you know, and that sometimes yeah. sometimes you just have to own the pain of the present and let it be what it is because that is there's like literally I highlighted like a little section of of toward the end of the book that I think really speaks to all of this, which is, he says in the book, he says, um, 
The multiple choices and possibilities of daily life are the music we dance to. They're like strings on a guitar. Strum them and you create a pleasing sound, a harmonic. But then start adding strings, 10 strings, 100 strings, 1,000, a million, because they multiply. Harry didn't know that watery, ripping sound was, but I'm pretty sure that I do. That's the sound of too much harmony created by too many strings. Mm. And I think that that was such a beautiful and concise way to sort of explain, like, just, you can't, you just can't fuck with this stuff, you know? Right. You can't undo it and you can't change it. Would you have any trepidation about going back in time and changing something huge? Absolutely. Do you think it would be enough to stop you from doing it? Yes, I do. Because, (laughs) and again, I, I think there's, first of all, there's two ways we can look at, is it me preventing something a massive cataclysmic event like 9-11 or are we talking about me stopping a loved one I know from from dying because this is kind of what Jake has to sort of manage I mean it in the book well like what am I stopping you know um I don't want to I don't I don't want to put too fine a point on it I feel like if you're concerned about the idea of say a butterfly effect right then you're concerned about the idea of a butterfly effect right. and then you may not want to do whatever the thing is. Right. I guess for me, it's not, I, I, that was, it's, that's never actually been my concern. It's never been the, Oh God, what if I cause world war three or, you know, nuclear fallout or whatever. For me, it's always been like, you just fundamentally change who you are as a person by altering the past. And you also change hmm. that outcome for for millions of people. And so just kind of speaking from a more kind of micro sort of perspective, like if I could go back in time and prevent my dad from dying when I was 16, would I go do that? My answer is no, I would not. Because that was what was for me in my, in my timeline, what was supposed to happen. And none of the things that I am or that I have, including my children would exist if that had not happened, you know what I mean? And so for right. me, it, it is a necessity. And I think that's what he speaks to in the book too. You know, it's just that there are just things that have to be as painful as they are. Yeah. Well, it's the mystery. It's the unintended consequences thing. The, the butterfly effect that we've talked about that it is crippling when you try to think about it in much the same way. It's crippling trying to picture your spot in the galaxy and the, you know, the wider galaxy and the galaxy amongst the galaxies and the infinite of space, you know, it's like, it, it can be really, really crippling trying to think about that stuff. But, you know, I can also, you know, I, the brilliance of the setup is that there is that reset button, right? So there's like, what do you got to lose? You have a, a, a time to do it because this portal is in a diner that's going to be demolished in like a month or a week or however long it is. Um, and, uh, so, you know, go through, give it, this is your last shot, you know, try to see how this works. Um, and on paper, it's actually a really solid plan when Al outlines what his thinking is, it all makes sense. You know, if, if the little bit that we got of Kennedy as president, like we, we saw, you know, how he averted the Cuban Missile Crisis. We saw this, like, really high level. This is a, an intelligent, caring, empathetic person who would do well. And then we also saw what happened in the wake of his murder. You know, we saw, you know, it, uh, you know, MLK. We saw Bobby Kennedy. We saw, you know, just this rash of progressive leaders getting murdered. 
mm-hmm. right? And and Vietnam and all that stuff and all all the the trickle down and like so on paper it makes a lot of sense. But that's one of the things I I absolutely love about the story and earmuffs and spoilers if you haven't read it. So this is your warning. You know they go. This is a long fucking book, and you are in Jake's shoes. You're with him for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pages, and you finally get to the point where he stops Oswald from shooting because there's all the are the conspiracies real? He has to investigate all that stuff. Is is he a lone shooter? And is it really him? Is he a patsy? Like all this stuff you're investigating, you get to know these characters, and for. for like two novels worth of of uh, time you spend with Jake Epping at this point. And he wins. He stops the assassination. And the best time after that, or it's like the immediate aftermath when he's getting calls from Jackie O thanking him and and like everything seems to be right in the world. And then he comes back to our time and everything's all, you know, fucked up, you know, Biff Tannen timeline. Right. Right. And, right. Uh, I, you I know, and he also still loses Sadie. He does lose Sadie in the process. Yeah, that's the that's the trade off, like a death for a death kind of right. And he loses the love of his life, and it's a choice that you get. You kind of get the idea, even in that like that glowing aftermath where he's getting the the accolades from Kennedy himself, and he becomes a hero and whatnot. Um, you know that he wouldn't make that choice again. Like if he could instantly go back to five minutes beforehand, he would save Sadie and and let JFK die. Um, but it, it's exacerbated by the fact that her sacrifice just turned the world into something even way worse than, than what we had to deal with with Vietnam and, 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 and all that stuff. So, you know, the, I love this story because there is no easy answer and, um, you know, and it kind of just goes back to what you were saying. Like it's a personal thing. You save, save who you love, save who you can be. Uh, you know, who you care for and, and make sure even if it's a selfless sacrifice, you know, because he, you know, he does end up resetting everything and he goes, he goes back and he, he finds her as an, as an old woman. And, uh, you know, there's like a residual feeling that she knows him, but like their entire history, their love story, which is, by the way, I think one of the best written Stephen King romances in uh, any of his books, mm-hmm. um, you know, their love story just, went away it only exists yeah, in his memory as an alternate uh, timeline essentially and uh you know it, it's it's so it's a melancholic it's a sad story but it's also something that just doesn't have an easy answer to to that you know what seems to be an easy question yes save jfk yes kill baby hitler you know it's like you, you there, there's always those unintended consequences and i think that's why this this book is like quickly you know, the more time that passes, the more I see eleven twenty two sixty three kind of rising in in the ranks of like people's favorite king. I mean, it's and, it is spectacular, and I think one of the other things that really shines is that you know, even though it ends on such a bittersweet note, and like you said, he really only has the memory of of this this romance and this relationship that's in an alternate timeline he's he's forever changed by it you know and that yeah. he finally opened himself up to the opportunity of of loving and being loved again which was right. something that at the beginning of the book he's very much not open to um right. and it makes him a better man even though he does not get to have the woman that he wants to grow old with and so Again, it's just like all of these things as I was reading the book just kept like punching me in the stomach over and over again. Um, and it's why I think it's it. I think it's one of his best books. 
Everybody, Vespi here. So I am flying solo with the ad read and the outro today. So gotta bear with me. None, got none of that Wampler chaos to keep things lively. And I must say, I am doing this after having spent all day traveling since about 5 a.m. So uh, my energy levels might be a little bit lower. But I am trying to keep excited because we are talking about our good friends over at Lumi Labs, of course. And you know what? The, the thing that I'm going to do as soon as I wrap this up and edit it into the show, get them shits posted, I'm going to go take me some Lumi Labs, relax, drift off into a nice sleep. I have earned it. So you know what we talk about when we talk about Lumi Labs. We talk about microdosing, and that's where you take a little THC gummy throughout the day to maintain your chill. We're not talking about getting high. You're not floating in the clouds. The aim for these gummies is to keep you relaxed. For me, I use these gummies usually to sleep. I've gone on and on and on about my vampiric sleep schedule, and that shit is true. I might not need them tonight, but damn it, I want some tonight because I need to relax after a whole long day of travel, and that's what they're there for. This product is aimed at helping you relax, and by God, it works. The best part of Lumi's THC gummies is that they're available nationwide and aren't affected by your state's marijuana laws because they use a synthetic THC strain. That means you can order it from any state and they will deliver it right to your door. You don't got to worry about the feds or nothing. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com. And if you like what you see, you can use the code KINGCAST to save 30% off your first order and get free shipping. Again, that's microdose.com, code KINGCAST. All right, let's get back to the show. You've you've brought this up a couple of times now, this idea of if you're that if you're that emissary that goes back in time and changes like a major thing or whatever, you know, you are returning a different person. Mhm. And uh, I think this is a really fascinating idea because it's it's one that I don't spend a lot of time thinking of with with time travel stories. Like, for instance, is Marty McFly just like all fucked up now? You know, he, <laughs> he very well might be like, yeah. wouldn't you if you if you, you know, if if you uh, single handedly prevented your mother from being sexual assaulted, sexually assaulted by biff tan and 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 you know orchestrated all this like yeah you would come back kind of fucked up yeah. I, i've not i've not thought about this a lot well and, that's uh, why king is such a genius because he addresses that in the book right right so there's, right there's the, the yellow card man who is ultimately just another person who has been bouncing around in timelines and has been driven mad by right it. You know, and so like he is saying that he's like, you, you do this long enough. It will unravel you. Hmm. Um, that's why, again, I just feel like it's as a book, it's so it's so in so many ways, so perfect because he really did look at every conceivable angle of this scenario and of this, this sci-fi conceit that he turns into a very emotional concept ultimately. But um, that's hmm. why, like, I think I read somewhere that like he had the idea long long time ago but he just didn't think that he was good enough yet to write it it's one of his best written novels i think like full stop yeah um 
I don't I don't know that I love the ending as much as you did. Uh, I I keep saying this every time we bring up eleven twenty two sixty three, but I I need to go back and I need to go mount a reread and also particularly that final final stretch of the novel. But I remember I remember just like there being things about the last 50 pages or so that that kind of annoyed me. And I'm curious if if that's still the case now. You know, I read it like fucking a decade ago. Yeah, I think we've mentioned like this before because because the king sometimes has a. I don't know, an, an inclination towards going a little absurd with his language and what, especially when he's talking about, you know, either a dream world or, you know, this whole Booyah Moon stuff and Lisey's story. And, you know, when he comes back, like, like he really does that kind of like, do you have any of these future bucks on you? You know, we don't take, you know, cash, we take future bucks and, you know, shit right. like that. You know, he does have a little bit of that in that segment, but it's such a, it's such a quick thing where he runs into it's the teacher or not the teachers the the janitor that he's he helps right that that's who is the survivor that he runs into Mm -hmm. like in this kind of post-apocalyptic gangs are running the the fucking streets world Mm -hmm. that he comes into and he like that's the dude that like lays out exactly how terrible the world the the world was um yeah, so I, I can understand that, but like the emotion of it, it to me, it's it's the reset. So it's when he makes the decision. You know, that's kind of an iffy part. But once once he decides, I'm going to step back through the world, enter in in 1958 once again, and he has his run in with Sadie there, and he like lets her just have you know go on and doesn't have their meat cute or whatever right yeah. and uh, and he makes that choice, and then he comes back and finds her old like that. That to me is a very sweet ending and they have their dance together you know it's a sure you know i don't know i i think the ending's pretty great but like there there is that little rough patch you got to get through whenever you uh but even then i i say rough it's just it's just the the part of the the book i don't think it's really rough it's just compared with the rest that feels so grounded it's the it's the only part of the book that feels a little bit like authorly reach you know you're getting into some sci-fi bullshit you know here versus just this is the the you know the the drama of the characters right are you a jfk guy chris no <laughs> i don't know if that's a bad thing um no i i i, 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 don't, it's funny, I don't think so i, I mean was, it's been fucking yeah, Nixon 50 years it, it was obviously yeah, i mean not not something that i grew up around i remember having a i remember having a math tutor who was jfk obsessed and when i would go to her house every inch of wall space was dedicated to to him and she even had this really terrifying like bronze bust of him in her living room that looked like <laughs> looked like a cross between jfk and like raiders of the lost ark where his face is melting um, and, and i just remember just being really spooked by it all and of course i had any kid's morbid curiosity. And so when we learned about it in school, of course, I wanted to see the pictures of, you know, Jackie O trying to scoop his brains up and all the kind of gross stuff that my little perverted mind was into. Um, but it, yeah, it just wasn't, it's funny. Like, I feel like I learned my, my education really came from this book in a lot of ways, especially the, the, the Lee Harvey Oswald side of it, you know, right. Mm -hmm. Um, I knew nothing about him 
And so this was kind of like a nice little sort of peek into that, you know, even though we're talking about, you know, historical fiction. So your um, math tutor wasn't necessarily a, a, a JFK conspiracy nut. They were just no, they were just of- they were just like he was this this the shining beacon, you know, like the 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 America that was lost. Hmm. Um, so um, there was there was a lot of that in that house. So have you yeah. not seen Oliver Stone's JFK? I haven't. <laughs> oh my lord! I know it's it's so fucking good. I like, know. I need to, I like, need to I see know. it. I don't know it's, how I haven't, but I haven't. There's always that one like, one or two movies that you're just ashamed to admit that you haven't seen yet. Oh, I'm that's fine. Like, that's fine. Okay. You can always catch up. Yeah. You know, I'm 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 not one of those people. I'm not going to break your balls about it, but you know, you talk about a feat of editing and you know, like casting and. It is it is incredible. Like I, I think that at this point we can probably safely assume that there's a, a fair amount of Oliver Stone's JFK that is inaccurate or perhaps dramatized for right. dramatic effect. Right. You know. Um, but man, that is a powerhouse. It's like three hours long and it feels like about ninety minutes. Uh it's it's such a fun watch. Um would would very strongly suggest that you i will i will be that out. watching that maybe There's... not your math tutor if they're still alive right <laughs> you know. do it's interesting do... then that I, I i don't know i think um i think i would assume that anyone would who would pick this title for the show would have some sort of like you know kind of like how we were talking about ghosts earlier you know is how i think about like ufos and shit Right. It's like a distant sort of interest of mine. Like I would love that if this were true, Mm -hmm. but you know, I'm not going to make it my personality, but I'll check in every once in a while and see what you folks are up to. Mm -hmm. Like I'm kind of like that with JFK, JFK conspiracy stuff. I don't think they've done anything new in fucking years, but uh, I can imagine that being like a, the, the back burner interest of somebody who would select this title for the show. So it's interesting that. Yeah, no, I, 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 but again, I don't, I don't think it's any surprise as a person who has made movies about, you know, bouncing around through time and trying to alter the future, you know, totally not. I was very drawn to this book for a million different reasons. Um, And but it's funny, like I didn't find my way to the book because because I like obviously I you know it was not wasn't it wasn't a, J, a JFK thing for me at all. It really was. I'm so pretentious. It was like I read the New York Times review and was like, they were like, <laughs> James back, you know. Um, and I was and I'm a big fan, you know. I've, I've read a lot of King books and um, and I have even tried to make a couple into movies. Um, and um, what happened there? Oh God you know, just uh, abject failure. <laughs> there was really like, they didn't one. go like, were you one in a real way? One in a real way. I, a long time ago was, was working with a producer to remake, uh, Christine. Um, and I know mm. that I am not alone. I'm not the only mm-hmm. boy in town who's tried. Um, but I was been pre- on this show. <laughs> this was, yeah, exactly. But I was pre fuller on this one mm-hmm. <laughs> um but it was it was kind of doomed doomed from the start um and it kind of ended up for me just being sort of like a sign that was like just maybe you shouldn't fuck with it the, the you know 
the uh, the past is obdurate. <laughs> I'm I'm curious what uh, what drew you to Christine. Christine, um, I mean, I think it was Arnie more than anything as the yeah. character. I related again very much to that character, um, being an outcast myself and being being aggressively bullied in school, um, and this kind of revenge fantasy angle of it, you know, was something that really spoke to me in my youth. And, um, and I love, I love the Carpenter movie, but I, but it was nothing like the book to me. Yeah. Um, and so I was so fascinated with this, with the more kind of possession angle of the book between Arnie and LeVay. So it was, for me, it was like, Oh, that's like, part of me was like, I like that. This is not just, it's not just a, a haunted car story. It's really a, a possession story. And, and I know that there were so many things too, that like even Carpenter wanted to do with the film that he couldn't do. Um, you know, just, just, just Arnie's physical appearance, you know, and how he transformed over the course of the book and stuff like that. But, um, but ultimately for me, it was, um, and why it didn't happen was that I just, I don't, it just was one of those things that like, I don't think King himself at the time, at least didn't, he just didn't want anyone to touch that book. Yeah. Um, and he was just coming off of a really bad experience with the, with the, um, the dark tower. Um, and that yeah. release and he was like super pissed off. Um, and so it just wasn't, it just wasn't, wasn't meant to be. Have you looked at any other properties? I haven't honestly, just because they're usually spoken for like long before yeah. they ever come around. To yeah. me, you know what I mean? And, and no one has knocked on my door yet. I hope one day maybe, but, um, but no, I mean, I, 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 you know, who doesn't I think a lot of them are fucking booked up right now because I talked to another filmmaker just last week who, who DM me and was just like, so if I were going to do a King adaptation, I was like, that's a big fucking question. Right. Like, I don't, you know, what are, what's, what's even available right now? Right. Right? Like, that's the thing. Yeah. Like, it's, you know, uh, we were told, we had uh, Seth Graham Smith on the show once, mm -hmm. and he told us a story about being led into, like, a, do you remember this, Vespi? Like, yeah. Like, yeah. And There's they like led a him keeper into of like, the book. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was like, like, he went to King's publisher and there was like a whole room of like this. Yeah, like a fucking like a legitimate like Ron Burgundy library of like <laughs> mahogany and velvet lined books and Amazing. shit. And and they go in there and they laid out like a book for uh for Seth to look at and we're like this is what's available and this is what's taken. It was like a, a like a ledger. That's basically. crazy. That's so and crazy. this was not the experience of the person that I was talking to the other day who was like yeah, it's basically like I email them and tell them what I'd be interested in. They tell me no, like <laughs> that, that one's already yeah. taken. Amazing. So I, so I was just curious if you would, if 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 you had had any further interest. If no, I mean, I, 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 I mean, again, I would do anything. It's so funny. Like when when eleven twenty two sixty three came out, of course, like that was like I was like, oh my god, this would be the best movie of all time. Like. I was losing my shit. And then of course, you know, it was already well into, I'm sure the works and was turning into a, 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 a whole other thing that I actually honestly <laughs> never saw. 
Um, I never saw it. I never watched it. Um, mm. and, and that was very intentional on my part. Um, I didn't want to see it and I still don't mm. to be honest. Was it How just come? because you thought it was the, the wrong approach to it or I well, did oh, like God. a casting I mean, or like, what was this the... isn't, it was a cat. I mean, honestly it was for, I mean, it felt to me like when I read about, when I read the casting announcement, it turned me off. Because yeah. I was just like, he's he's just not Jake to me. Like, there's nothing yes. about him right. as a human being that is that character. And so I was like, if that's where they're starting, I don't, I don't want to know. I honestly don't want to know. And it's a bit judgy and shitty. And it's not. I'm not knocking the filmmakers or anyone involved with it because I, who knows? I, it could be way better than I. Buddy, you are talking to two people who never finished the series. Okay, largely okay. because of the casting. It was a, big or at least on my end. Yeah, yeah, one person. I ended up finishing it the last time we tackled this, however, like eight, six, eight months. You ago, finished it? We did it. I did. Yeah, I finished the. Fuck. I finished the thing, but we had a theory going for a long time that there wasn't a single human being on this planet that started that series and then watched it to the end. Because <laughs> every single person we talked to that had watched it like tapped out somewhere around halfway point, and and that was our experience too. So I actually watched it. You know. Listen, I think that the reason why I was able to get to the end, and again, it's not it's not a chore. It's it's fine, um, but you know, it's it's a lot to ask people to follow if they're just not a hundred percent enthused about it. Right. But what really got me through was um, uh, Sarah Gaydon as uh, Sadie Dunhill, mm. um, and like on this rewatch, like I just kind of fell in love with her, and I was like, like, oh, this is absolutely perfect casting as. As wrong as they got uh, Jake Epping um, in that that casting, they got her right, and it it only kind of made me more pissed off. That's what but say, I was able to highlight where they failed even more. You know, and, and listen, he's not aggressively bad in the thing; he's just miscast. Like there, I know that there's a lot of problematic things around Franco as a person. Um, I don't typically dislike him as an actor. I think he he works in a very specific niche, though, right. and that Jake Epping character is not his niche and um mm-hmm. yeah so it's he's too modern for that character yeah so it's not like i'm sitting here going oh man he's just you know can't deliver a line and blah 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 no I mean, he's fine he's an actor he's a professional but it just he, you know he just doesn't have what it what that character needs i also you know? just kind of felt like what also turned me off from it was the format like i i was right. and again i am a boring diehard movie guy right? Uh, but i felt like sometimes what i love about king adaptations are that they often will force a filmmaker or a storyteller to to really find the best way to distill something you know and to condense Mm -hmm. it into its most essential parts and tell the best version of it possible within that within that framework and ideally when you give people this much broader canvas they can get a little it just gets a little indulgent and then you kind of don't have to be economical and stay on point as much and so and well, again, does this apply to all king miniseries no not at all i mean i think some things can i mean again i mean there's no right or wrong way to do something but in this particular case i can only speak personally after I read the book and was like, wow, I would love to turn this into a movie. Um, I, 
like I said, when I saw that it was going to be this sort of like whatever it was, a mini series, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Limited series, like a limited series. A limited yeah. series. I'm talking like I'm in my 60s. Um, but um, <laughs> it's a story. It's a story. But I, yeah, I was just like, well, that you know, I could see how one could really find themselves really being okay dwelling in certain areas of the book that I don't necessarily need to stay in for that long. Um, I hear you, but also it's an 850 page. Whatever. Come on. I mean, you think, you Let's think, do you have, <laughs> okay. I'll but do you think you have a two, you, well, I guess you could do it as, you could probably do it in three It's hours. Stephen it, King's JFK. Come on now. It could be done. It could very, it could Stephen very, King's it Oliver could, Stone's JFK. I think it could be done and be done very well. But, um, but anyway, I didn't, like I said, I didn't see it. Hats off to everyone involved who did it, and I hope they had a good time doing it. Yeah, I fair enough. Of, I, I lean um, in your direction too for a lot of things that people assume would just be better as a as a mini series or a limited series. Like I'd nothing in like I would love it if the Talisman could have been an epic two part, you know, uh, just giant budget movie, right? Well, and you 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 do need two parts for that one, but. Part of the thing that I like, I don't know, could I don't think the stand works as a standalone movie, you know, and I think in much the same way, uh, 112263 is all about feeling the time that Jake has to spend on this on this thing. So I think the miniseries actually isn't a bad way to go because you're, you know, so much of this is his uh, um, journey is about waiting and about being immersed in where he is and mm-hmm. you know the but inevitable you do that economic like that's a, that's not yeah. a hard thing to, to convey you don't literally have to do it you know what i mean well i mean you can show it happening but you know making the audience kind of feel like that they're in that holding pattern, you know, for multiple years, <laughs> saying it out loud doesn't sound like the most appealing thing to watch, but you know what I mean? It's the same thing where it's like, it's like where the stand, uh, the newest stand messed up where they, they were economical. They jumped around in the timeline and, and showed stuff from, you know, lost style from flashbacks and flash forwards. And then you just lost that feeling of living in that, that post-apocalyptic world. And what, what do you do now? You know? And, and the journey, the the long journey, the the walk to to Mother Abigail's or the walk to Vegas or whatever, um, you know, you just lost that well, feeling that the book you. had. I think the stand is a different case, for sure. But for me, in my mind, it's sort of like I could, I think I could, I kind of see sort of the act breaks and sort of how it structures out, you know, in my in my movie mind. You know what I mean? And I feel like you right. have the like first half of of a long act two to really. Mm-hmm to really set up that world where he is, where he's in this town, he's in Jody and he's falling in love and he's, you know, all these things are happening and he's kind of almost trying to like, almost avoid the fact that like he has this, there's this iceberg head that he still has to come around and deal with. And that's kind of your midpoint of act two. But anyway, I could go on and on and on about it. But um, like I said, I didn't, I didn't see the show just because I was like, I think, I think I just want this beautiful book to kind of just stay intact in my brain as, as I wanted it to and not be sort of, tainted by something else i'm kind of with you on that i don't think i'm ever gonna go back to the the uh limited series adaptation and finish it i just you know time is i don't have a lot of time and <laughs> and I, I kind of agree that like yeah no i'm i'm happy to just let the book be the book and you know yeah. this is out there if you want it but it's not for me 
Yeah. I right. think that's also where I, I landed on it. So super. So fair. I respect that. Yeah. Um, so what did you guys think of the kind of back to the future? Uh, we keep bringing, going to back to the future too here, but, uh, the whole idea of, I think one of the things that, that I liked about it, but it also kind of complicates the story is this, this sheet that he has, that's like a cheat sheet for sports betting. And, mm-hmm. and that involves like that opens up the, the door to all this like weird kind of mob and underground, you know, gambling things. Um, where on my reread, I felt like that he hit that like note about two times too many yeah. by, by the end of it. Um, but I do like that what that uh, ultimately ends up being is he gets so absolutely wrecked by one of uh, one of the uh, the people who he like essentially, you know, game the system and made a shit ton of money off of where they like beat him almost to death. Right. And and uh, that also I, I like that, that that's one of the things that time does to try to stop him from, you know, because this happens right before, uh, you know, the assassination. Yeah. Right. Uh, but then that also kind of <laughs> opens up a little bit of a, a a weak part of the book to me where he's beaten so badly that he uh, he forgets he gets amnesia. Mm-hmm. And I don't I know that that shit happens in real life. But anytime amnesia is brought up in the story, I instantly go ah, writerly bullshit. Right. Writerly bullshit. Yeah, convenient, it's very convenient. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but what do you guys think about like that angle? Maybe the, you know, less on the gambling part, but more on the the whole I'm going to beat you up and, and make you forget. I mean, look, I yes, I think it can come across as a little bit convenient and a little bit contrived, but yeah. you know, I'm also very forgiving of something like that in a, in this, in this particular case, because yeah. I think it's, I think it was thoughtfully set up, you know, throughout the book, at least the fact that he was using this situation as a means to support himself. Um, and and also because he gets very desperate at the end on behalf of Sadie and her situation. Um, and so he makes a dumb bet, you know, like goes, goes right. too far and he knows that he can't go a, to, to a certain degree and, he's, and he crosses that line. I mean, right. I've never, I've never been, I, here's what I'll say. I know a guy, I know a guy who, who went through something, not, not this kind of a situation, but he was beat senseless. Hmm. Um, and he did experience some memory loss. Um, and it was, it took some time for him to kind of get all the pieces back together. And so it's not like, that's where I'm like comfortable with it because I'm like, because it's still possible. It's the kind of stuff where you're like, that would never happen. That's ridiculous. Like, you know, like it, it wasn't outside of what was possible to me. And so therefore I, I kind of went along with it. And I did like, as you said, like that it was still it spoke to this, to the idea that the past is going to fight you. It's going to try and stop you yeah. from doing this. And so that was just another, you know, and it was nice that it wasn't another like car crash or another, you know what right. I mean? Like it still, like I said, I was, I was more forgiving of it than maybe, maybe you guys, but I'm so biased with this book just because I was so swept away by it. You know, I was so right. taken by it. Um and, and it did little things that I didn't see coming. Like one of the more, not to go off topic, but like one of the more moving parts of the book to me is when he goes, and I'm going to blank on the character's name, but the little girl that Al was trying to save. 
um, from being paralyzed. Oh, right. Um, and that instead of it like being some sort of harrowing set piece where he has to stop the shooter by, you know, like all that stuff, like he just did the other thing, which was so surprising that he just went to their house and basically weirdly paid them to play a game with him. And he just sat with them and he made them late. And that yeah. her mother and that her mother knew it somehow. And that that whole that chapter really got me. It really right. got me because it was such a great example of how a writer can take a situation that could have mm-hmm. easily just been exploited for like a set piece moment, you know? But he did the opposite. He he turned it into something quiet and soft and really beautiful. Um, and that's that's the kind of stuff that I think he does so well in this book from a plotting standpoint that I f- we, forgive a lot. Yeah. Well, you, you mentioned, I mean, you're getting a little <clears throat> bit deep in the woods here, but I really actually like this train of thought because it seems one of the messages of this book, one of the themes is that, you know, you could change things on a small level, on a very personal level, make that person's life better. You know, she's not in a wheelchair anymore. You could save the janitor, you know, the, mm-hmm. from killing, you know, his, his family being killed. And he could get off fairly scot-free from that. He could come back and the world is largely unchanged. Um, but those individual lives are are better. And that's kind of what he, you know, c- comes to the conclusion of, you know, uh, by the end of it, he doesn't, he goes back and resets the JFK assassination. Uh, but like he, you know, Sadie's life is for the better, you know, after he does do a little, little nudging, just that little interaction he has with her, whatever, you know, seems to set her on a path where her life was better. Right. Right. Um, and uh, so I, I found, find that fairly interesting that that's one of the things that jumped out to you, because I, I do think that speaks to a broader theme in the book. <clears throat> Agreed. Well, I think we've I think we've probably covered eleven twenty two sixty three. Yeah, y'all yeah. feeling good about it? Yeah, I feel sure. very good about that. Excellent. Well, this is the point in our show where we 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 turn the microphone over to our guest and uh, invite you to tell our listeners where they can find you, where they can find uh, uh, we have a ghost, uh, as if we have our, already haven't mentioned it. But let's let's uh, re up that and. Uh, yeah, basically, Chris, this is your this is your self promo. This is my shameless yes. plug moment. Shameless plug time. Please Yay. do. It. Go um, hard. You can find me, I guess, in that in that hellscape of social media. Um, I'm on I'm on Twitter. Are you looking up your own at right no, now? No, I'm trying to think of like <laughs> what what yeah what like I'm on Twitter. I'm 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 creature c r e e t u r e. Um. And then I, uh, I'm on Instagram. <laughs> I'm not. I haven't done this self promotion plug thing before, so I'm really uncomfortable with it. Um, so, oh. so yeah. So I'm, I'm on there. Um, Chris Landon, you can find me there. Uh, and then we have a ghost, which uh, I'm very excited to to plug. Uh, it will be dropping on Netflix uh, February 24th. Um, it's a lot of fun. I think. I hope. It is. <laughs> I hope it a is. lot of and people you, watch it. And you get you get uh, you put uh, a really nasty comb over on David Harbor. So, <laughs> I so know, that's I worth it. the price of admission. It's so What's that good. guy like, by the way? You like David that guy? Is, David's intense. He's intense. Yeah, really? Yeah, he is. He's he's great. Um, 
you know, I think that he, and I, I hope I'm not out of turn saying it. He like offset. He's very warm. Um, and he's wonderful to talk to and just like a great guy that you just want to sit down and, and have dinner <laughs> with, you know, and I'm hoping this builds up too, but he punched me in the face every set, day on stage balls all day long. <laughs> no, on set, he's just, he's, he's very, he is there to work, right? He's there to sure. work and he's there to get the job done and he's laser focused. He's a pro um, and he's a pro and he's a full blown pro. Um, but you know, like he's, he's unbelievable. Um, he's genuinely one of the most talented people I've ever worked with. Um, and <clears throat> he, he gives so much. This is not, this is a really hard role. Um, right. and he gives you everything that you could possibly want, you know? Um, so I think he's great. You know, I was very fortunate. I, the whole cast was a joy to work with. I have no complaints. Yeah. It's worth noting. Like Harbor is stripped of one of his acting uh tools. choices here yeah we didn't in show terms of, yeah in terms of speaking right <laughs> yes so like did that lead to any that must be the most frustrating <laughs> shit i remember i remember and weirdly i have a way to connect this to stephen king but i remember like when the stand miniseries was airing originally mm-hmm. watching that with my folks and um talking about uh uh, Rob Lowe played Nick, right? Right. And he's he's deaf slash mute, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yes. So um, I should know. I have a Stephen King podcast. <laughs> uh, but I remember saying to my mom, like, that must be the easiest role in the world. And my mom being like, you know, fuck you, no. Like, <laughs> you know, or like, <laughs> like quickly disabused me of this notion of, you know, um, how easy that might be. And in retrospect, she's, she's absolutely right. It must be incredibly difficult to, you know, have your, your dialogue reduced so much or dialed back all the way to zero that you can't, you can't use your voice. Did that lead to any frustration with him on set? I mean, he read the script. Honestly, like he look from, from the word go in our first meeting together, he just said out loud, like, I am absolutely terrified of doing this because I have no dialogue. Um, but he then said, but I'm also really excited about it, like, because I know how challenging it's going to be. And so after we talked about the character and he kind of really understood who he was playing and what his <laughs> ultimate objective was, like, he just gets the assignment. But this is also a guy that has an extensive theater background who really knows how to play to the back of the house, right? So mm-hmm. he comes equipped with a skill set that a lot of people don't have. And he also comes with enormous empathy. And so, like, it's all there. And some people could call it like face acting or whatever they want to reduce it to. But like, he's just giving you a lot of honesty and a lot of stuff. You know, he's not playing like a cutesy jokey thing like he's yeah. giving you a guy who has suffered and also since we were talking about it earlier doesn't remember oh god is that contrived <laughs> <laughs> I, would, I would also I just, you guys much. just set me up <laughs> I did you walked right into my little <laughs> what a trap. You're a bitch man you know what I fucking hate when people don't remember shit for plot reasons 
Now, Chris, tell us about your movie. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, um, but yeah, no, he's he's a great actor, and I'm very fortunate that I had the opportunity to work with him. I hope I get to do it again. Strike me, it strikes me as a good dude. I he like that guy. He really is. Yeah. Before we leave, uh, I do want to say that I experienced my first Halloween Horror Nights at Universal this this past year, and got to walk around Freaky. Did you go to one of those and like actually walk around your, I, you know, see scare actors and shit? I did. I did. I think? they invited us to like their opening, like a preview night. Yeah. Um, oh, were you at that thing with Flanagan and? Yeah. 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 So I was, yeah. I was yeah. At yeah. With all with all these other filmmakers and mm. people, and um, yeah, I mean, we got to walk the maze, and it was fucking awesome. It, it was, I got to say, it was pretty sweet watching, because uh, I, I went to the Orlando one, so see all these, like, Florida teenagers that just kind of looked like, <laughs> it looked like the character, like, just but being, like, showing up, being all serial killer-y, wearing the, the yeah. outfit. I don't know. I got a kick out of it, so. It was right. So, uh, I, 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 I can't imagine, you know, making something like that and then just seeing it, you know, on that scale where, you know, that's a huge production. They spend so much money building those those walkthrough sets and then they hire all these, you know, scare actors to come in and portray your, your characters. I thought that that was fucking cool. That, it's that to me would be cool. a sign like shit. I, I made it, it if I'm, if I'm in here, I definitely had that. I had that pinch me moment. I mean, honestly they did a maze for happy death day mm-hmm. before it. So like, that was the one that really was like, Oh my fucking God. Like, how is this my life right now? Um, right, because I I grew up going to that. Like the first, I went to the first one I think they ever did. Like I I mm. grew up in L.A. and so I went to them year after year after year. Yeah, and never in my wildest dreams did I think I would walk through a maze that was based on my own movie. So it was definitely like a huge, huge pinch me thing. Well, mm. I'm 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 curious now, and now to extend this motherfucker by another ten minutes, but <laughs> like, uh, what what were the freaky slash happy death day houses? like and actually let me let me preface this with the following statement mm-hmm. um years ago like i had heard universal horror nights was like the rolls royce of haunted houses right mm-hmm. you know i've been to a number of haunted houses here in uh texas and they well they tend to go hard sometimes yeah. you know uh yeah. there's one that i went to a few years ago that like i had to sign a nine page release for in oh order to, like fucking it's not like mckamey manor or anything like that if you know what that is but like uh we got hosed down in blood like <laughs> fully i've heard fully about some of these i haven't and, been and, here, but i'm jealous yeah. at one point we were loaded into a fucking like forced to crawl up like uh like a fucking what do what do i even call it um almost like a a a reverse birthing tunnel into (laughs) another thing that turned out to be a truck that like transported us to another location i was like oh shit okay this is maybe where where we die but uh yeah i got bathed in blood in this thing uh i saw some really cool shit but also i wasn't really scared by it right and and so when i heard that universal you know was was uh they do you know uh halloween horror nights and they're you know very good at it um there was a point like some years ago where uh 
I took my then girlfriend and I at the time to, I guess, yeah, it was Orlando mm-hmm. to uh to check out the the uh, the houses, and we went through like two of them, and I was just like, this this shit is not working on me, man. Like mm. this is you know these like this is the best they got, like you know, and uh, I was very very skeptical. Right. And then I got into a house that was like an insidious house, mm-hmm. you know, like uh, built around, obviously, James Wan's and and uh, Lee Wanell's, uh insidious. And there was a room where like I walked in. There's nothing going on in the room. And then a door on the far side of the room just like blasted open. <laughs> and uh, a young woman in like a fucking like a wedding dress or something. I, I really didn't. Uh, get the details like like fucking bolted right towards me and got like two inches from my face and just screamed and i was like okay i get it now um (laughs) this is horrifying (laughs) but haunted houses don't really work on me so i'm Hmm. I'm curious what your your chris haunted houses were were like i mean i think that they fully grasped the tones of both movies uh so they weren't they weren't like trying to be super serious like shit your sure. parents scare houses um and what i think because yeah, you're doing more of a, a yeah, horror comedy, thing. A horror comedy yeah. thing so they were more they, but what they did do very well was kind of very visually walk you through the narrative you know yeah um, mm-hmm. it was sort of like i'm experiencing becoming the butcher you know um from millie's point of view so like all that stuff was really fun but they still managed to get some good scares out of it and have people pop out and things move and you know do crazy shit um but yeah i mean like i said like i was just like i just walked through the whole thing with a giant fucking grin on my face um and and it was a blast and it was really fun getting to do it with michael kennedy um because i know (laughs) i know that he was having his pinch me moment you know Um, right and so I was kind of drafting off of his fumes at that point. Um, right. But um, yeah, I mean, look, again, you know, I think he and I, he and I connect so much on that, that we both kind of grew up, you know, two little queer boys, you know, who were obsessed <laughs> with horror movies. And suddenly we found ourselves <laughs> sort of like shoulder to shoulder walking through our movies together. It yeah. was, it a, was whole a bunch of, thing. A whole bunch of drunk Floridians are losing their shit. Yeah. And probably <laughs> yeah. puking on, on some poor scare actor. We were there for yeah. it. We were there dropping their glow sticks left and right. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that I think how you approach those those houses, by the way, just is kind of like how you approach horror in general. There are some people that watch horror movies and even the most like tame PG 13 studio release, you know, uh, will freak them the fuck out right. and they just can't handle it. And I walked into those going like, oh, I wonder if I'm going to be startled. And yeah, you, you'll you get startled like jump scare style sometimes. But yeah. for the most part, I was just walking through those things like with a big goofy grin on my face going, look at the artistry here. Look yeah. at the, the the storytelling, as you were saying, you know, there's a Chupacabra house at, at the last one that was really fun. And yeah, and, uh, you know, they set up this whole like storyline of. Of, uh, you know. I don't know. They were hard, going, man. They really do a whole they, new area. There was one called Dead Man's Pier that was like just amazing. It was gorgeous. It was like one of the most beautiful, like 
it experiences like going to a, a what the fuck is that thing called like the the meow wolf it's yeah. like going through one of those except it's all fuck horror, yeah you know yeah. it's just beautiful totally. you know and hats off by the way to all all the actors who just sweated out all night long oh no trying shit, to deliver yeah. right like they all work so hard so i'm always really impressed by that too so yeah. i loved it it's so fun um guys i hate to be Yes, of course. Got to go. We yeah, we, we went on about eighteen. My son from school. <laughs> yes, we went on about eighteen detours. Let's uh, let you go so you can you can pick up your son. Um, and yeah, we'll, we'll please uh, come back you. anytime. I love yeah, it. please. I would love Absolutely. to do this again. So I really appreciate it. It was so fun to talk to both of you. We're we're gonna go mm-hmm. episode by episode through eleven twenty two sixty three on Hulu. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do a commentary for the entire run of the limited series. Okay, Amazing. That would be that would be pretty funny. <laughs> an episode. Like we've never done that, but oh, on this thing I... that we've been shit talking for multiple years. <laughs> We're gonna focus on this for about nine months. Amazing. But it only works if if we can convince Chris, who is who's yeah. made a, a blood oath to never watch this thing, yeah, to, exactly. uh, to do it with us. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Chris, thank but, you so much for being here today. This was an absolute delight. We will we will surely have you back. Um I got nothing to add, man. I love, right. I love your stuff and I'm I'm excited to see what you do next. All right. Thanks so much, guys. Many thanks to Chris Landon. Everybody go check out We Have a Ghost on Netflix and bask in the glory that is David Harbour's spectral comb-over. It is a beautiful sight to behold. Trust me on this. If you didn't skip the mid-roll, and you shouldn't have because that's where we talk about Lumi Labs, my babies. But if you did, I want to remind everybody I'm flying solo on the ads and outro for this episode and also doing this after a crazy day of travel. Y'all, I've been up since 5 a.m. I am ready for bed. So I'm going to keep this postscript short and sweet by telling you a little bit about next week's episode. The title on deck next week is Children of the Corn 5 Fields of Terror, a sequel that I've been putting off watching pretty much since it was released in 1998. But because I love all you with all my heart, I will be subjecting myself to the wonders of yet another round of Corn Boys. Joining Wampler and myself as a first-timer guest, as you can guess from the pick of title, our guest is a very funny comedian who is appearing in a highly, 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 highly anticipated movie that may or may not be hitting theater screens imminently. I don't think I could give you any more of a hint than what I just did. We haven't recorded this one yet. It's on deck in a couple of days, but it's sure to be a rowdy one this episode, so stay tuned for that. And as always, head on over to our Patreon page, which is patreon.com slash thekingcast, and throw us some bucks every month, and we will make it worth your while with instant access to over 100 bonus episodes going back to the beginning of the show and brand new bonus episodes hitting every Friday. Whew. That's it. I'm going to go pop some loomy gummies and relax, my babies. See y'all next week for Children of the Corn 5, Fields of Terror. Bye. The KingCast is a Fangoria podcast production. The show is produced, hosted, and created by Eric Vespi, that's me, and Scott Wampler. Tira Ansley and Abby Goel are executive producers. Daniel Danger is our art director, and editing is done by yours truly. <laughs>